0: Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aero Marine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life. Excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter, because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. Welcome to this issue of the Winning Pitch Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to find successful people and you get a chance to listen to their story, how they became who they are, what lessons they learned at any points in their life, and hopefully, not hopefully, I hate that word, hopefully, it will inspire you to create your own level of success. This is a young man, Jonathan and I are both involved with 10X. Obviously, he wears the pin and I got a great big one hanging over my head. I'm going to introduce to you right now, Jonathan Burgess, and tell your story, brother. All right,
1: Tom. So I uh, appreciate you having me on. Yes. Yeah, so my name's Jonathan Burgess. My wife and I own a wealth management firm, Big Money Management, and we're both really young. I'm 24. She's 25 years old. And I grew up in a small town. So I grew up in a town called Union, South Carolina. Super small, very quaint. I went to a private school, private Christian school and then graduated and went to to a college called USC Upstate. And that's really where my story starts. Before that, I'd always worked through high school. I mean, I started working whenever I was super young, 13 years old, you know, <laughs> under the table. But after that, I went to college. And the first thing I did whenever I got to college was I met a guy on my hall. I said, hey, I don't know anybody else here, but I know you and let's go get a job. And so we we hopped in the car and rode around and we ended up coming to a little Italian restaurant called Capri's we walked in the door applied I got the job he didn't unfortunately and I started working there as a waiter so I worked there through college and you know that taught me a lot about how to interact with other people and a lot more than I really credit because every situation was different you know I met people on their worst days and on their best days, I would talk to them, you know, whether they were coming in and somebody had just passed away, I'd talk to them or they just got married. You know, I was speaking with people at every level. So from there, I was multiple majors in college, like
0: 10. Is that because you couldn't make um, up your mind what major you wanted to be when time. you grew up?
1: Yes, absolutely. So and I was like, if I'm going to do it, now's the time to do it. So anyway, I kept switching throughout that start course out of with- time. I started out in nursing, and my older brother was actually having a little girl at the time. And anyway, he runs out of my older brother. He ran out of the emergency room and proceeded to show me a video of my sister-in-law getting a C-section. And I almost passed out. And I was like, "Yep, that one's gone. (laughs) I'm not doing that." So anyway, I was out at that point. So I changed from nursing to a couple others. And um, saw at the end of freshman year, actually, my older brother Philip, he actually passed away. He was 28 years old, super young. So, you know, that was really an abrupt time in my life where I was, I was working hard, going to school, and then that happened. And we were super close. And I think that's whenever I really figured out the fragility of life. And I knew that, hey, you know, you really only have one shot at this. He was a bodybuilder. So he was always all in and did everything 100%. And to see somebody so full of life go that quickly, you know, that drove me a lot. So, you know, I'm still working at Capri's, an Italian restaurant at this time. And throughout that time, I actually met my sweetheart, Samantha. She and I, we met in college in accounting class. Actually, we dated for a short period of time. She wouldn't talk to me. So we got in accounting class and I completely played dumb and she did all my accounting homework. (laughs) And it's crazy because we were always considered to be like the nicest people in school. Like everyone at our college who knew us, they were like, oh, my gosh, you two are so nice. But anyway, so we ended up getting in a class together after she stopped talking to me. I played dumb. She did my homework. She finally let me take her on a date again. And bam, it started right back up. And uh, yeah, long story short, we ended up getting engaged at the end of my college uh, career. As I was leaving college, I was still working at Capri's. And I was approached by one of my regulars who was like, hey, Jonathan, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, but I've got this opportunity for you if you want to start your own insurance business. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get my CPA. I'm not sure if I want to do this. Well, he showed me all of these things that I would be able to do to be able to sell. Then he showed me life insurance and life insurance immediately clicked with me because my older brother had a life policy and it paid out to my sister-in-law and my niece. So immediately I knew I had a conviction with it. I could get behind that. I can definitely make more of an impact life insurance than I can sitting behind a desk or in a cube form. So, you know, and that was my other opportunity to go, you know, to an accounting firm. So I jumped straight into that and had no idea how to start a business. I was still in college at the time. I hadn't even graduated. I started um, my first business November 1st, 2018, got married November 2nd. We shortly after bought a house, my wife and I did. So all of these things happened in a mass amount of time. And we actually grew a very, very successful insurance agency. There was under the umbrella, we were a captive agency under the umbrella of companies that we worked at. There was about 3,300 in the United States. Right before we left, we were ranked number four. In that company. And to be so young and only an operation of, on average, we had about three to four people in that office. You know, we were stacked up against guys from San Diego and Texas, where the premiums are much larger and they had 20 people. So we were selling a lot of insurance for our size office. And, you know, Samantha and I, we did really well through that. And at the point, there was really a break point in that where we went to the growth con this past year in 2019. And, you know, you hear it all the time, like Grant and Elena, Brandon and Natalie, they talk about alignment. And we never really hit alignment until that point. So Samantha and I, we hit alignment February of 2019. And then it was like the graph of the agency just went through the roof. So we started doing very well and continued to grow. And then we We got on the scale program, so every day, you know, we're and card on you. We're writing down our goals, and we found out we were actually going to acquire other insurance agencies within that umbrella of companies that I was talking about. We were going to purchase other agencies Mm -hmm. in our area. Whenever I went to buy them, I actually found out that the agent didn't own them; the umbrella company owned them. That was over us. So, I mean, that was kind of a snap where I was like, "Oh, you know, we." We're writing down our goals every day. Hey, you know, I want to have 10,000 agents, all of these things I'm writing down. And then I was like, well, it's not possible with this model. So it was really kind of a make or break time for us. And it was at that point that we decided to actually transfer our agency within American National to another agency and open a new office in a bordering county to do wealth management. And in my insurance agency, I actually did retirement planning and life insurance, but we ended up, we transferred that because I knew the potential with growth was much more if we were independent and owned our own practice.
0: Line up for our listeners chronologically, the period of time where you discovered that these guys didn't own what you thought they owned. When was that? Was was that 2019 or 2020? That was about three
1: weeks ago. So we move really fast. I think that that's definitely one of the positive, you know, to be able to make a decision for 20th, maybe.
0: Yeah, you're freezing up on me. I have no video and no sound from you, Jonathan.
1: Can you hear me? Good. Yeah, um, pick them up. So that's whenever we found out. But, you know, you got to make decisions fast.
0: Yep. So. Awesome. So take me back to when you were six years old. Tell me about something that happened to you when you were in <laughs> that age that created the person that you are today.
1: Immediately when you say six years old, I think about me sitting up on the, my mom sat me up on the counter and she was fixing my hair. I always wear my hair like this. I have ever since I've been a kid, but I've always kind of been like this little persistent kid. I've always been like that. And, you know, my parents always said you would ask for something until we gave it to you. And I would, and, and I attribute a lot of my success today to that persistency is I would always say, why? My dad would be like, because I, I said so. And I would be like, well, why? And it was always, you know, I was always willing to go kind of that extra step. And a lot of the times I ended in disciplinary action that I could show in the form of my legs. But I think a lot of that comes from that persistency.
0: Okay. So let's move up to when you were 12. What happened to you when you were 12 that contributed to who you are today?
1: Well, I played basketball in, How tall are you? in middle school. I was really, I'm 5'10". Okay. And I was at a private school. So I was awful. But I learned a lot about, I guess, teamwork at that point. You know, you I wasn't good, right? But I could pass the ball and uh, I could pass the ball to the people that were good. But I sat at the bench a lot. I learned a lot. Definitely about discipline, as far as I mean, I look back back at that time and say, Oh, could I have worked harder? And 500%. Yes, for sure. You know, I thought at that moment in time, me sitting the bench was the coach was against me, but actually, (laughs) it was me that was against me you know i was pretty stubborn like i said i was pretty persistent even to the point where i would ask for extra playing time and i knew i was awful i wanted to be out on the stage anyway but i look back at that time and you know you get what you put in even though i wanted to be out on the stage i didn't perform and the fact that they wouldn't let me go out i look back on that time as it, i was just ill prepared
0: so, so i don't know whether i think that, that definitely i don't know whether you're aware of it or not but i coached high school baseball at the varsity level for 4 decades so when you're telling me you were a bench player and you're asking for more playing time, I've had that happen to me 350 times. And the answer was still, Nope, you're staying on the bench. If you don't earn it during practice, you aren't getting in the game. And you're just, yes, your coach was against you because you didn't belong in a lineup from his point of view. And his point of view is the (laughs) only one that counts because he makes up the lineup. So anyway, so not to interrupt you. So you learned from basketball and sitting on the bench. So tell me about when you started high school. High school was different. I I think that's whenever I I
1: kind of, I I don't want to say the high school that I went to was, I mean, it was a private school. So I spent actually a lot of the time not in school. I would go to college courses. So I was kind of like the guy who was like minimum effort in. I didn't study and I still made A's somehow, but I really never dove into school. I really just did the minimum effort to get by. And I worked a lot of the time, so I would just you know if we had a big exam and I knew what was on it i ninety percent of the time I'm not going to study, I'll just glance over everything before I walk into the test, but I would work I actually worked as a cook all through high school, so I would go in and work from four o'clock to ten o'clock at night, you know study for an hour and then go in the next day. But I think I was always looking at what really mattered from a sense of I never. Thought that what I was doing in high school would really attribute much to my success, whereas I knew that the money that I made would. So, so what did you do with the money I, I, that you was, were making? I spent it. I spent it all. I did. What not good is it if you're money. not going to
0: spend it, right?
1: Yeah, I literally walked away with nothing. I worked a lot. I spent a lot. That was kind of like my fun, my fun money, I guess. But and then so I would ask if, my parents for more.
0: What did you spend the money on besides car? <laughs> Girls and clothes. Nothing. <laughs> Just there's nothing part. left, is there? Those are pretty big numbers. And taxes, of course, you pay taxes yeah. because the federal I mean, government steals yeah. it from you before you get it. That's why. Yeah. So, so no, mostly. Yeah. And I suppose that during high school, you no longer tried to be on the basketball team.
1: No, I did actually. Okay. Um, I did all the way. Yeah, I played all the way through high school. I definitely probably gave my coach a super hard time. Finally, he let me play the the last game I ever – it was really my senior year. I kind of kicked on with the – you know, there's a saying. It's, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Doc Rivers, he talks about Umbutu. Have you seen that? You're going to have to tell me before. I know will tell you whether i it. Okay. So, Doc Rivers, whenever the Celtics won, I guess in 08, they lived and breathed this saying called Umbutu. And it was, I can't be all I can be unless you are all that you can be. So what he did was he embodied that with his players, and they all knew that each of them were individually responsible for themselves and making the other players better and holding them to that standard. And we were never really good at high school basketball, but my senior year, we made it to the state, state playoffs. But that was my best game ever. I passed the ball a ton. I shot very rarely, and I made every single shot that I shot that game. That was my best game last one, but you know, I think it was really that last game, which is too late, but that last game was really whenever it clicked with me that that I couldn't be all I could be without everyone on that team being all they could be, and bringing that into business is oh my gosh, amazing,
0: okay, so I take it that teamwork is one of your core values for your company then
1: yeah, definitely, okay,
0: so now you've gone through high school, you graduated from high school, and then you went to college. Tell me about college. And you were in college for four years or five? Five. Take me through that journey.
1: Whenever I went to college, it was kind of, it was definitely a a rude awakening, not so much a rude awakening, but it was like a whole new world. I had never interacted with people on that scale. I had always gone to a school that had maybe, you know, eight or nine people in a class. And then now there's three or 400 people. So interacting with all these people on a daily basis was completely culture shock to me. I joined a fraternity whenever I got there my freshman year and ended up becoming the president of that fraternity. But it was, that was definitely the hardest job I've ever had is being on top of 40, 18 and 19 year old guys and (laughs) trying to control a room. (laughs) Um, It was, it was an experience, but I learned a lot in college about interacting with people through work at Capri's, like I was telling you, and also through running that fraternity. I mean, the, Everyday struggles were insane, what you would go through to try to get all these people to communicate. And I learned a lot about persuasion, I think, then, and getting people on the same team. But that was, yeah, huge learning curve for sure. So
0: tell me about the funniest thing happened to you as the president of that fraternity. Either the funniest thing that happened to you or in the group that you were attempting to control. Oh my gosh.
1: There's so many things. I would say my favorite thing, and this is just because of the dominant personality type that I am, I'm very competitive. Was we always had what was called a uh, see, I don't even know that it's recruitment week, where we would recruit new guys into the pledge fraternity, week. and both pledge week, both fraternities would set up on the quad, so in the main area of campus, and they would have two tents, and you know there was only two fraternities at our school, so one year I was like, we're going all out. We're going to put them in the ground We're literally everybody's going to. So they were like, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to roast a whole hog and I'm going to pull my truck up on campus and we're going to burn wood. So anyway, people told me they were like, you can't have that. You got to talk to the fire marshal. You can't do that. Anyway, I talked to the fire marshal, met him out there. I literally pull up a whole hog smoke like this huge contraption on campus. And I have a pig, a whole pig in my bathtub the night before. We uh we go out there with ice on top of it, and anyway, so we're out there, and I'm like chopping wood with. And you think about it now, as liberal as colleges are, I'm out there with an axe chopping wood, burning firewood on campus. And every time the wind would blow in their direction, I would chop as much firewood as possible and open that thing up. And I promise, it was the equivalent of a concert style smoke, just going all like literally every opportunity. Well, we did recruit like 20 people that year and we only had 20 people in our fraternity. <laughs> so we doubled in size, but it was a lot of fun. But I'm sure there's more just not coming to me right now.
0: So tell me about the toughest decision that you had to make as a president of the fraternity.
1: I would say anytime we had to kick somebody out, that was probably the the hardest thing. And I mean, just breaking it to other people that, hey, you got to roll. And I think we might have done that like at the end of that year that we took on 20 people I think we might have let's I don't know 6 or 7 people go out of and that was you know I definitely got a lot of backlash from that there's probably still people who don't like me for those decisions but yeah that was probably the
0: well without giving any uh, names what kinds of things does someone do to get kicked out of a fraternity
1: not pay the fees so we would have a lot of guys who just wouldn't pay but they'd be super guys but we would have people who were struggling financially that we just had to, you know, you can't affiliate if you can't pay. But I'm trying to think of, you know, being out in public and just being completely an idiot—that would be. I thought that one. was for your job.
0: Being part of a fraternity was to go out in public and be an idiot. <laughs> I. The reason I don't, I'm very serious about this because I only went to college for a couple of years and I never. Thought of joining a fraternity, it just wasn't something that kind of that I thought I was supposed to do. So I've never really looked in it. So I really don't know anything about the life other than watching movies. And I'm sure that everything in the movies is an overblown situation. They can't possibly be that much fun. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, okay. So what was your favorite thing about being in charge of that fraternity?
1: I would have to say the you know. The connections that you built through that, I don't want to say that a lot of the stuff that you see on TV is, you know, a crazy farce, but whenever we used to do this thing called brother retreat. So we would go out in the woods for like three or four days and camp out ton of fun. And, you know, we'd have a good time throughout, but really we, everybody got around the night around the fire at night and we would all just have, you know, 20 to 40 guys around a fire. And we would let one person talk kind of about what was going on in their life and really listening and just being around that person, you know, with 20 or 40 guys. I don't know whenever I'll ever be able to do that again, but definitely like seeing another human open up and being surrounded by people that, you know, really care about them. I would say that that was I was very proud to be a part of that whenever that was happening. So
0: what stops you from doing that with your employees? I don't think I've ever been
1: stopped from doing that with my employees. I always, you know, would tell them, hey, if you guys have, I'm an open door. Like if y'all have anything going on. I always said if I ever needed to leave, I would just go on a walk. Like if I just wasn't in it that day, I would just walk out of the office because the energy in that room is so important. So no, I would say we never did that, like got a fire and got around it and talked about what was going on. But I would say to an extent, we always have kind of like an open door to that.
0: Okay. All right. So if you could go back now, your ripe old age of 25 or 24, excuse me, and talk to your five-year-old self, what would you tell yourself?
1: I would say to interact with more people, pay attention to people. We get so zoned in and focused about what we want. I mean, today it's just so materialistic. Like, you know, you want the certain things, so you go after it. For me, I always wanted things, like a particular thing. Like whenever I was a kid at 12 or 13, I wanted an iPod and I would do everything it took to get that iPod. And I was so laser focused on that, that I never really took the time to interact as much as I should have with the people around me. I would say that's it, you know, just focusing on other people because at the end of the day, (laughs) how successful you are is really dependent upon the people that are in your life because you you can really only do so much. So I would definitely, you know, keep an eye. I just listen, be an open ear and really pay attention to other people.
0: Okay. What What would you tell your 12 year old self? Get better at basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Who is going to get you better? Yeah, we had a basketball court that wasn't
1: too far from our house. So I could have really gone down there a little more and probably found someone to mentor me. But yeah, I mean, I look back and I I know I could have been so much better than I was. And it wasn't done because I never repeated the things that hurt the most. You know, I couldn't dribble with my left hand. So I just always dribbled with my right hand and I never touched the left. So if I could go back to being 12, I would only dribble with my left hand. I mean, just focusing on the things that really brought me the most pain.
0: So if you could go back and tell yourself on your first day of high school, what would you tell yourself?
1: Save that money. Not say that, store it, store it for something in the future. But yeah, I would have, as much as I work, there's, you know, cumulatively over that amount of time, there's no telling what I could have really accomplished whenever I got into college and after college, even having that.
0: Okay. If you could go back to the first day that you started college, what would you tell yourself?
1: Same thing about the interactions. I interacted a lot with the people that were in my fraternity and in that group, I would have really branched out. A good bit more. And yeah, I mean, anything else, I would have probably, you know, some more internships would have been good. I really think Capri's was a, that, whenever I waited tables, I really think that that does a lot for a person to interact like that with people. I would have just interacted with people outside of my web.
0: Okay. So thinking about working at Capri's, tell me about your single best day or event. Tell me exactly why and be very descriptive and put the listeners there with you.
1: Okay. So I walk into work and I'm about eighteen at the time. And I find out it's the holidays. So it's about this time of year, a little bit after this. And everyone had called out. Most most of the time there was eight servers in this place. And, you know, there was only two of us. (laughs) And there was multiple parties that came in. The place was packed. On a normal night there, I would make maybe a hundred bucks or over a hundred dollars. I was competitive. But whenever all those people came in, I think about the volume of people that were in there and how many people I waited on that night and how forgiving they were with me, even though I only maybe talked to a table twice and how much more I made. I think about what Grant says about you know, it's not so much being the best. It's about being the best known. And I guarantee you that night I was the best known waiter in that place. And because it was so saturated, it was just so condensed. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that was the best night. That was kind of like my click, like, oh, wow. You know, to me, $200 a night was that cap. That night, whenever I did that, I was like, whoa, that was... So that how much? Are, how how much did you
0: get the tips that night?
1: Like four hundred dollars. It was a good. I don't know. That's probably not a lot for in California, but South Carolina. I mean,
0: people no, 400, are pulling four, up and, <laughs> at eighteen. Four hundred dollars a night in cash. That's still a lot of money. Okay. Yeah. So, again, thinking just about your working at Caprice. Tell me about your single worst moment. And again, be very descriptive. Put the listeners there with you and what you learned from
1: it. I would say after. After my older brother passed, I was really kind of like in this cyclical cycle where I was, I didn't really know, you know, I don't know, it was, it was a weird time in my life. And I decided to get two jobs. So I got a job working at a distribution center, I would work from 4am to 3pm and then go into work at Caprice from 4pm to 10pm. And I was overloaded one night, And just went to my manager and they were like, hey, we need you to do something. I can't even remember. It was almost like I blacked out, but they told me they needed me to do something. And I just remember getting furious, like my brother passed away and almost using that as an excuse and how I felt after I left was like, I felt that big, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say that was, that was my worst night, like almost backing myself into a corner It's something that I had caused and it was my responsibility. I was working that hard and I just had a moment where I exploded. So I would say that was my worst moment working there was the attitude at which I directed towards the, you know, the managing staff there.
0: Okay. Going back to that moment, what would you do differently now?
1: I mean, really, I would have just breathed. I don't think I took a breath the whole night. You know, if I could have just turned around and just, you know, taking a breath, literally just taking one breath before I said anything, it would have been a completely different experience. So yeah, I mean, that's what I would have done for sure.
0: So do you still go back to Capri's to eat dinner? Not that much. Not that much.
1: No. Um, you know, after eating there for four years and getting 50% off food, uh, <laughs> that that kind of did away with that. Um, so no, it's a super good place. So yeah. Cool. Cool.
0: So tell me about how you got connected with Grant Cardone.
1: Yeah. So there was this intern program before I started my business in 2018, and it was in September. And I actually saw Grant in at the beginning of September of 2018. And I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I've literally watched 40 of his YouTube videos straight. I got to go see him. He's at an insurance conference in a week. I did not have any money, Tom. I had no money. And I applied for every credit card I could. So I ended up getting a credit card. I got a suit. My wife got me a suit at the time we were dating. And I flew to Chicago, slept in the airport. And anyway, when I ended up seeing him at an insurance conference two months before I started my business. And out of the gate, I produced like two and a half times the average agency owner that had been in the state for like 20 years. And that was really, I got to see him contextualize what he would do if he was in the insurance business, which was amazing. I couldn't put a price tag on that to be at the beginning, but I definitely had to make a lot of hard moves to make it there. But it was-
0: Specifically, what did you get from Grant and seeing him at that insurance conference?
1: Money follows attention. I think I wrote it every day. Money follows attention. Money follows attention. Like, you know how he does that thing on stage where he's like, hey, hey, like, he gets all hyped up. That was, you know, I saw him do that and I was like, oh my gosh, this makes a lot of sense. And that was really the big thing was the money falls attention. And that just stuck with me.
0: So what do you do today to get attention? So oh
1: man. I told um, you this.
0: I told you this wasn't going to be easy. I'm asking you a tough question.
1: We do so much. That's why I did that. I mean, we I'm trying to think of all the crazy things we've done between Facebook ads, direct mail. At our age, we were spending $3,000 a month for somebody to come in and do video. I mean, that was different. So we were putting out a video every single week before we made the transition. I wrapped a truck. You know Grant's 10X truck or the 10X Rolls Royce that he wrapped? Mm -hmm. I wrapped my truck in my brand just like that in September of 2019. So that was really cool. That was really cool. And actually... What I just did was I was like, what can I wrap now? Because I sold that truck. I was like, what can I wrap now to get a bunch of attention for our new business, Big Money Management? And the thing that popped out at me, I was like, Sprinter van. So anyway, I, last week I bought a 2020 Sprinter that's lifted and I'm wrapping it this coming week. And we also have a, uh, the city that we live in is really cool and they let you drive golf carts around here.
0: Can I get you to repeat that? Because the internet connection would destabilize for a little bit of mine. So the last thing that I heard you say was you bought the 2020 van. Now tell people what you did with it.
1: Yeah. So I'm wrapping it this coming week. So we're going to wrap it in big money management. And we're actually going to build it out to be a mobile office. So that's that's exciting. You know, I, always in in the financial industry, at least, I noticed that people rarely ever came to us. It was actually pretty rare that people would come to us. We would do most everything over Zoom, over the phone. And really the only time they ever came is whenever I booked an appointment that came to us. So we are building that out to be a mobile office. So I'll actually go out. It's going to be actually really cool by the time we're done with it. But we also just got a um, a golf cart, a lifted golf cart that we're wrapping as well because you can drive. We're in the downtown area and you can drive them around here. And uh, we got one of those get wrapped as well. but. Yeah, we definitely try to put ourselves out there. That's for sure.
0: Okay. So when did you actually start? What's the name of your company? Big Money Management?
1: Yes. We started, the official start date was November 2nd, 2020. So You just started it? Yep. Just started it.
0: Okay, good. Great. What company were you operating in, say, February of 2020? So
1: we owned an American national agency. So we were captive. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Uh, but Burgess I Insurance have it, but that, that doesn't so, mean anything. So we actually did something that was very beneficial. Most agents that were up under that wing, they did—they would do Jonathan Burgess representing American National. Well, from the beginning, I didn't do that. We did Burgess Insurance Group, so that is what we put on everything. We put Burgess Insurance Group on everything, and actually branded over that. So anyway, that was—we always went by Big. We called it Big. So whenever we stepped out and did our new venture, we did big money management. So it's definitely way out there, okay. but that's the point, you know. So. so
0: knowing what you know about 2020 now, if you could go back to the first of March, what would you do differently? I don't know if I would do much of anything differently. And the
1: reason I say that it was at that point, whenever everyone was contracting, we actually hired that video crew to come in and start shooting video. We knew that everyone was pulling back. So we actually expanded out and we ended up doing, you know, 200% more that next month. And then it was just like, boom, boom, boom. It just kept rolling. So I
0: really wouldn't change anything about how we attacked everything in March. I think it was really good. So you made this decision to hire an outside agency that you're paying $3,000 a month to come in and what exactly are they videoing for you? So they would
1: shoot content based on, you know, whatever we wanted to shoot. So we would do with our content schedule, we did three things. We would either make people laugh, make people cry or punch them in the eye. And that was what we focused everything on. We wanted to do, you know, one of those things. So we would always shoot a funny video or something that's more touching or something that was kind of in your face. So they would come in twice a month and shoot, you know, two videos and then come back and shoot two videos. And we were just kind of like on the cycle. What are you spending per month on videos now? We start this coming month. We're starting up the same same arrangement.
0: Have you given any thoughts to hiring your own video people and having them in your office?
1: Definitely. That has been a big... A that's big yeah, that's what we originally tried to do. But we actually... It was just we couldn't really find anyone in our area to do it so that was the next best thing it was kind of like plug and play here um and we actually reached out to them and they didn't have anything like it i think we were actually their first clients in okay. that area doing to that consistency so i mean yeah but no definitely have thought about having somebody in house
0: yeah i got into when the lockdowns in California. I don't know what they had, what they did in South Carolina, but we were told we couldn't have any employees in our office. I had to do everything remote. I wasn't supposed to leave my house. so And I couldn't go to the gym. And I was too fat and old to want to go to the gym anyway. So that was a great excuse. But I realized I had to take more control over my health. So I live in an apartment. I sold my house because I'm a Grant Cardone guy. And I sold my house and put the money in Cardone Capital. So I live in this tower and I walk around the tower every morning for a couple of miles. And while I'm walking around the tower, I'm creating video content every morning in videos that are anywhere from one minute to eight minutes long. And I just started doing that every day. And I've probably I hate to use the word problem. My guess is I've done a thousand videos since the beginning of the, the lockdowns here in California. And then I realized, damn, I can't get this stuff out fast enough. So I hired a guy. I wanted it in my office. So I can say, here's what exactly what I want you to do. Go do it. And then I've hired two more sensors. So now I've got three guys working in my office and all we're doing is taking the video content that I create, taking the raw video, putting it out as a, a thing, a message of some sort, and then they go back to my that video and take little parts of it out and create other little parts that go on a story or anything like that. And it's very, very beneficial. You'd be surprised how much content you've already created that you don't know you've created. But just by looking at the long stuff, you didn't take pieces of it out and create 30 second snippets. And, and just Grant always says, frequency precedes greatness. Just keep doing it, keep hammering yeah. it. And if you're not comfortable doing it, Tell your wife to do it. I can hear her sitting in the background giving you cues. What's your wife's name? <laughs> Samantha. Samantha, Hi. come over here. Hey, i
2: How you doing? Oh no, you
0: know, Come on. You're, <laughs> you know what? You're gorgeous, and you should always be on the camera. And if you can't get this uh, young guy that you've married, you do the videos.
2: Thank you. Yeah, he loves being on video. You he should loves too.
0: Videos. I'm normally no on your side. Though. Have you ever seen the interviews that Julie and I, my wife and I do together? No, we haven't. You you should see them. And you guys should start your own series. You've got people that are your power base, that are your clients. Just sit down and commit. You know Brandon and Natalie, right? Yeah, Yeah, I love Natalie. (laughs) Well, think about that. They're sitting there and they're giving their message to the listeners, and then they start being husband and wife to each other, going back and forth. That's extremely entertaining when you realize that they're just human beings. They're just like the rest of us. Yep. that's, that's right. my that's my nugget for you. You guys need to do that. Yep. Hey, listen, commit yourself to one a week. It'll become every day, and then it'll become a couple a day. Right now, my goal is to create twenty videos a day, and I realized that when I gave that to my video guy and told him, he says, "I can't do that. What's stopping you?" Well, there's not enough time in a day. So just hire some more people. And that's always the answer to everything. Just hire more people employees are free if they don't produce something for you that doesn't create wealth don't hire them. but hire people that create something for you it's mm-hmm. like if you excuse me because i'm old and gray i think i have the right to tell everybody what to do so i'm going to tell you what to do
2: how Stop. have you grown you can, you have a great following on social media is that just through your videos
0: i don't know where it came from i or just it's, show, it's, I just it's, show it's, up and run my, my <laughs> mouth <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> when you say I've got a great following, what channel do you see me on?
2: Instagram.
0: I think there's, what, 40 50,000 people on there?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's impressive. Well, okay. For, for airplane taxes, that's impressive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, appreciate it. <laughs> it's, it's so impressive that Instagram has choked off my channel, so I've created a new one. It's called Tom the Tax Guy. I'm no longer allowed to use my own name. You know, they're choking it off because I'm very aggressive about not liking the government of California and not liking all the government suppression and stuff like that. So they're trying to choke me off and, you know, I just just go around the corner, start something new just like you guys did with your own business. That's the way to get through it. So what I was trying to tell you is don't be afraid. Just and when you shoot a video, don't watch it. Send it out. Don't watch it worry about oh my hair's not looking right or my lipstick's not looking right or I didn't say that right because we don't talk off of scripts and we're not perfectly, you know, it's not perfect. We get spoiled because we watch movies and we don't realize that it took them 42 cuts to make that one scene and that they want to get it all perfect. We don't talk that way. Talk natural. Say that, make your mistakes. Don't worry about it. You know, if it's a big enough deal, you're going to correct it. And if it's not, it doesn't matter. Just get used to doing it. And once you get in the groove of making these videos, it's an addiction. It's an absolute addiction, yeah. and it's great for your business. It's great for your business. So y'all need to send me some of your stuff. I want to see you guys together now, and I want to see we, you individually.
2: We've, we've done a couple of them on YouTube.
0: Every single but, one that we've done we've together got a lot
2: more views. Has,
0: has got more views.
2: Okay. So, I cut my own hair, too, on camera, and I got a lot of views.
0: <laughs> well, don't be afraid to be on camera. Don't be so shy. Yeah. yeah. Nah, I, I didn't get any agreement from you, did I? <laughs> Yeah. So you guys are a team. Let the whole team be on the the videos and keep crushing it. I love the stories. And uh, how far away are you from Savannah, Georgia?
2: Not far. Um, Four hours. Yeah, about four hours. I love Savannah.
0: Yeah, so do I. I have a brother who lives there and owns a couple of houses and has some BRBs there. And whenever I get a chance, I go there. The only thing I didn't like about Savannah was that Southwest Airlines didn't fly there. And now they're having flights there, so I have no excuse for not going there a couple times a year. The other thing I don't like about Savannah is I always gain weight. You know, I can go up and I can walk around, <laughs> but there's so much food. And, you know, you know Savannah food. You know what happens. You just have an extra oh, yeah. bite or two. That is right. Okay, okay I seem to oh, have you lost face. you again. Ah, there she is. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah. So, yeah, we're here. Samantha. If you could go back and talk to yourself yes, as a 10-year-old, what would you, now, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your 10-year-old self?
2: Um, I would tell myself to not be shy. I would tell myself to get out more. And I think that it's always been, I've always been extreme. I've never really cared what anyone thought. And, but I've always been, I think that it comes with the confidence and the knowledge. And I think that education, and I hate, I hated school. I failed out of school. And like, I hated learning. But I think that education grows confidence and that. Like, I know that I can do anything and be anything. And I think that that I would if I was 10 years old again, I would tell myself to learn and to grow in that manner because I've never really fit in with anyone. And I've never really wanted to. But um, I've never really talked. So I was so shy. I was so quiet in high school. I was so quiet all through until college. So.
0: So if you could go back now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean if you could go back to college, what would you tell yourself differently?
2: Not to be as crazy as I was.
0: <laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong with acting crazy. I do it every day. And in fact, when people tell me, I grew up in Union City, South Carolina, I said, What did you grow up for? I'm seventy two years old yeah. and I've never found any use for growing up. Growing up is someone else's version of what they want you to do. I don't take yeah. orders very well.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I so, watched you. Your I watched your podcast. So I heard you say that. I love that. So, but keep,
0: in,
2: in college, I probably would have not. I don't know. I wish I would have stuck to work a little bit harder because I ended up dropping out my junior year and I went into a sales job selling furniture, and I grew so much more there. So, than what were college. you selling? Furniture. Okay. Um. So if, I worked at Lazy Boy, but okay. <laughs> everyone thinks recliners, but I sold pretty much everything.
0: Awesome. So are you guys on Cardone University?
2: Yes, Yes,
1: every day. Yeah, we got the enterprise. So we have the coaching. So it's awesome.
0: All right. So how many segments do you do a day, Samantha?
2: Depends on the day.
0: Excuse me if I pretend like Jonathan's no longer here, but you're a lot better looking. (laughs)
2: Thank
0: you. (laughs) I agree.
2: Um, It depends on the day, at least three. Um, I try to do more. I like the long form, so. Really? Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. So I'm probably going to come to Savannah because I go to the uh, Gulfstream factory there fairly often besides going to see my brother. So let's get together and uh, we won't go to Capri's for dinner. We'll find someplace nice.
2: Absolutely. Okay. I would love to be
0: yeah. yeah, that would be great. We would definitely right. be there. Let's do that. So for both of you, we're pretty close to our hour. If there's anything else that either one of you wants to say as an individual or as a group Communicate it. The whole world's going to hear everything you have to say.
1: I would say look at the people around you a little bit more. Pay attention to them. And, you know, I said that earlier, and that was really from a macro perspective. But now I'm pulling to a more micro perspective. So, you know, the people that are around you on an everyday, daily basis definitely contribute to the average individual that you are. And the biggest leaps that we've seen ever is actually not whenever someone came into our life, but whenever someone came out, the wrong person came out. And that's nothing against that individual, but everyone has different goals and dreams and mindsets. And whenever we were able to see our business from a full lens is whenever we were able to pivot and move. And it may have been super uncomfortable. Like at the beginning, very, you know, it was scary. It was almost like a gut wrench, but we knew for us to go from, you know, do, having a seemingly large income at 24 to where we wanted to be, it wasn't possible with the structure and where we were at. So really there was a cap to what we were doing. And that cap was almost placed on us by the people that were around us. And whenever we pulled that out, we were able to take a large jump and start a new business in which we absolutely had no cap at all.
2: Yeah. You've heard the law of the woods, right? Yeah. John so Natural the stuff. operational Yeah, the top performing person in that company was making $2 million a year, which wasn't where we wanted to be. And we were ranked number four, for sure. We were going to hit it the next year. So it was a scary jump, but we knew we had to do that if we wanted to go past.
1: Yeah, absolutely. because we knew that with their structure, we couldn't go any further. So, I mean, that would be the biggest thing. It would be to really look at the people around you and make sure that they're not Putting their lid on you because that's their success point. Don't let someone else's success point Completely define understand where you it. Are. Yep.
0: So you're back. Good. It froze for a little bit. So just so that you know this, I'm leaving tomorrow and flying to La Paz, which is, if you know where that is, that's in down off of Baja, California. And then I'm going to spend four or five days there. And then we're driving down to Cabo and we're doing uh, Brandon's mastermind out on that uh, 140-foot boat. So I'll be thinking about you, I'll be talking about you, and it'll all be true.
1: Awesome. Thank you
0: all right. so much for having us on.
2: It is great to talk to you.
0: Awesome. And just when you hear me say something or you watch one of my videos, respond to me in email because I don't get a lot of feedback. I very seldom ever see that. So uh, you've got my email address now. I want to hear more from both of you. And every time you shoot a video, send me the YouTube link. I want to look at it. I want to see it. All
2: right. We'll okay. do it.
1: We'll do it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom.
0: Thank you for being on. I enjoyed the hell out of this. Awesome. Thanks, we Tom. did as well. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success. And I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. And number 10, then X-L-E-N-Z dot Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on our next episode.